The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Wing Chun Illustrated is the premier publication for Wing Chun. Published six times a year, Wing Chun Illustrated is a perfect bound, full-color, glossy publication. Each 60-page issue comes packed with in-depth content and feature stories by and about the world's greatest exponents of Wing Chun, regardless of lineage or style. Wing Chun Illustrated has featured people like Emin Bostepe, Philip Bayer, Yip Chun, Gary Lam, Donald Mack, Samuel Kwok, David Peterson, Chan Chi Man, Mark Phillips, Wan Kam Leung, Sam Lau, Robert Chu, Sifu Sergio, Victor Ken, and many, many more. There are two ways you can enjoy this fantastic publication. Go to wingchunillustrated.com and order the magazine as a print-on-demand. The print quality is simply amazing. Or download the Magster app and get a subscription. That's Magster, M-A-G-Z-T-E-R. This way, when the new issue hits the stands, you'll automatically receive it as a download onto your smart device for offline reading. In fact, with your new Magster account, you can access the magazine on multiple devices, iOS, Android, Kindle Fire, and web browser. To make the deal even sweeter, listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast can use the coupon code DUDES to get a six-month complimentary digital subscription. That coupon code is DUDES, typed in all capital letters. Go to Magster, again M-A-G-Z-T-E-R, to register, add the six-month subscription to the cart, and apply the coupon code at checkout. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Hey everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Dudes of Kung Fu. Uh, this episode is was a lot of fun, and um, Alex and I go over the idea of uh, how to set goals in the martial arts and how to actually reach some of your goals. And we talk about, you know, again with the uh, some a little bit of the Hong Kong movies and the, the old Japanese movies. I was a big fan of the samurai, as you guys know. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Have fun. <laughs> of Kung Fu. Please welcome your hosts, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. And we're back, man. How you doing, Alex? Um, really happy to be back, if not for the fact that New York is totally covered in blizzard-like conditions. Wait, uh, it's snowing out there? I didn't even notice. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. I don't know what the weather's like over there in Staten Island, because as far as I know, you guys are like in a different climate zone from the rest of New York, right? Is it something about the garbage smell swirling around Staten Holy Island? Holy shit, that, that, you got to dump on Staten Island, even with the snow. You live in fucking Queens, the land of Archie Bunker. <laughs> what are you saying about Archie Bunker? He was a fine man. He was a fine man. man, fine man. You're the original meathead. Yeah, but you know, a funny thing about uh, Carol O'Connor, the guy who played with Archie Bunker, you know that he was actually in a scene with Bruce Lee. Really? Yes, in the movie Marlowe with James Garner, uh, there was the scene right after uh, Bruce Lee like wrecks uh, James Garner, who plays Marlowe. Yeah, yeah. The famous scene where he wrecks his office, sure. kicks and stuff like that. And then when he leaves, um, Carol O'Connor's like in a crowd of people, and he bu- and Bruce Lee bumps into Carol O'Connor and then walks past him. So oh, that's cool. Bruce Lee is actually bumped into Archie Bunker, so the two of them. <laughs> shared screen time with each other little known fact so oh that's pretty cool that's pretty cool so uh, how was your trip back you want to tell the folks where you were and what you did and crap yeah like that? so uh, i talked a, a little bit on the last show i think i was still in florida when when we did it um so basically i've, I've had this thing now where i go and spend a month in florida it's easy my parents live down there it's not like i'm high rolling down there or anything like that i'm staying at my parents place 
<laughs> so, uh, but it gives me a chance to get caught up on writing and to work on projects. And uh, I did a whole rewrite of our beginner curriculum, and I did a rewrite of our advanced curriculum, and uh, uh, worked on a bunch of things um, uh, in terms of improving the self-defense stuff that we teach. And I, I trained with a. Uh, um, a lot of high-level martial artists down in Miami, and and so it was great for me to kind of move out of my comfort zone and and train with jiu-jitsu guys and train with boxers and and uh, you know kind of um, look how I can improve the things that I teach and the things that I do in my school. And now I'm back. I'm ready to go. And as soon as I get back, we get this crazy bomb cyclone storm here in New York. And it's a uh, I t- my taught my first class on on Wednesday. Everything was fine, and then today, which is uh thursday when when everything hit now it's like oh we had to close the school i had to cancel my big weekend intensive seminar we have to reschedule it for february and so it's like i'm all full of that kind of enthusiasm and vigor of the new year and now i'm stuck at home snowed in so i i think the best thing about your whole trip was one of the pictures you posted on facebook social media it was uh, you and one or two of your daughters and I noticed that there was the picture of you on the nightstand. <laughs> yes. I was like, holy shit. All right, I got to mention this. Even though I knew you were at your mom's house and your mom had the picture there. Yes. But, um, yeah, I, I, by the way, I love your mom, okay? Your mom's awesome. Because, like, today you posted, like, about the, today or yesterday you posted about, like, the tough drive home you had. Yes. And she and your mom posted, well, you needed your mom to help you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my mom is great, and she gives zero shits about like, you know, hey, you know, your son's a famous martial artist, right? And I'm like, mom, stop writing that stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and it doesn't matter who you are. That's like, you, you know, can you imagine if uh, social media existed in the time of Bruce Lee? Like, if his mom Grace was on Facebook and Bruce was like posting about like how he just, you know, finished the first season of Green Hornet. You know, <laughs> stuff on there where it's like, mom. Oh sure, absolutely. No escaping it doesn't matter who you are man yeah so it's uh yeah it's very funny in the guest room that i stay at when when i'm staying with my parents they have a a, a photo of me like you know in a frame on the nightstand next to it which is kind of kind of strange um and it's also a very old photo of me a very fresh face looking and and it's just kind of you know i, I also find it kind of strange like who else stays there that wants to see that photo? <laughs> it's kind of weird. <laughs> but uh, how was your uh, how was your holidays? I had a great Christmas. We had a great Christmas, great New Year's. Um, uh, you know, around f- friends and family, and um, it was nice. Both of my sons, who are getting older, have uh, had their girlfriends here for uh, Christmas. Uh, both nice, you know, nice girls, and actually, one of my sons. His girlfriend is staying here for a couple weeks, and uh, we're, we're having a great time. We're, we're really enjoying ourselves. I got a new guitar, so that's all that matters. And um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm loving life right now. You know, awesome. uh, if I could only just hit the lottery, we'd be all right. But I guess a lot of people could say that, wouldn't they? It's also funny the difference. You have you have two sons. I have two daughters, and it's very funny. It's like, oh yeah, their girlfriends were over, and then I think as a father, it's like, no way in hell some boyfriends are staying in my house. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the total double standard of so it's like yeah son of course you can bring your girlfriend and they can stay here but it's like for my it's like no 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 dude is staying under my roof unless you're married you can you can forget that idea <laughs> yeah right so true no it's true so, but uh, uh 
yeah. So speaking of New Year, I mean, now's you know now's the time where everybody makes their New Year's resolutions and and they set new goals for the year. And um, I, I definitely I, I don't really do the New Year's resolution things because I'm kind of a uh, I have a goal list. And when I finish certain goals, I write new ones and then I create the action plan. And that's something that I'm doing all year round. It's not just a New Year's thing. And, and but definitely a lot of people uh, set all their goals in the new year. So, I mean, um, is that something you've done? Uh, and I actually I have. Yeah, I, I, I've been setting some goals um, on several different levels. So the one thing I'm not doing is making them public, not, not making the specifics public. I kind of feel like I've done that in the past, and then when I, I uh, let myself down, I kind of feel like I get embarrassed. Uh -huh. You know, I'll put on Facebook, you know, I'm going to lose X amount of pounds, and you know, and then you know, two weeks later, I'm posting a picture of my favorite pizza, and <laughs> and it's inevitable someone's going to post like, "Oh, I thought you said you're going to lose weight," or I'll check in at some restaurant with my family, and one of my friends, being encouraging, will say. Well, is that full in with your diet plan eating at that restaurant? And I'm like, well, I hope you fucking choke on your dinner. But you know, um, so <laughs> so I I do have some goals. Um, I have goals on uh, different levels, uh, martial arts wise, uh, absolutely martial arts wise, health and fitness wise, um, guitar wise, and um, and business wise as, uh, as far as my job. Mm -hmm. um, and and I like what you said about having an actionable plan. Uh, I've actually done some research into um, the best ways to, to set achievable goals. And that, um, listen, face, I'm never going to be you, you know. Um, and What does the, that mean? You mean have a full head of hair? What are you talking about? <laughs> Was that one of your goals that I just let that out of the bag about the whole hair transplant thing? Well, no, see, well, I, 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 one of my goals is I didn't want to grow peach fuzz and call it a beard. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, so what I mean by that is, you know, Alex is in incredible shape and he's a very, um, I don't, I don't want to say type A because you're not an asshole, but you're, <laughs> you're, you. you're, uh, you're very driven. You're very, um, you're very focused in areas of your life that I'm not. Uh, you know, when it comes to physical fitness, you're much, obviously, much more driven and focused in business. I think you're you're much more driven and focused than I am. Um, and I think in some areas, I may be more focused than you. I maybe have more diverse hobbies than you do. You're very martial arts centric. I like guitar and, and other things where, you know, so... I, uh, I, I, so I say to myself, like, initially, I would always try and set these goals, and they were just unrealistic goals. Like, you know, in a year's time, I don't give a shit. I'm going to lose 300 pounds, you know, whatever the number is. Like, and it's some just unachievable goal that you just set yourself up for, 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 for a loss, you know? And that's what I always did. I would set myself up for these losses. I would say to myself, like, all right, I'm going to lose X amount of pounds without ever doing the math. And then I would sit there and say, okay, so then that means I have to lose six pounds a week for the next X amount of weeks. And then one pound, one week you lose 0.5. And you're like, fuck, by next week I got to lose 12 pounds now, you know? Right. And it becomes, you come, you get depressed, you get, you, you, you kind of fall behind the, uh, the schedule, and then it, it, you, at least not you, but me, I kind of like get down on myself and I get angry at myself and. I end up letting shit go, and 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 then I kind of punish myself and call it a reward. 
and and I and I can't do that to myself anymore, you know. And I can't do that to myself on all levels, you know. So I uh, I really took some stock of myself this time. I really said I want to change certain things. I really have a, a good core group of people and support, and I'm really really fortunate. I have um, you know, I have a family that loves me. I, I work for a good firm. I have an excellent podcast partner and friend, and I have a really Who's cool. That? Jim Roslando. <laughs> of course, I knew it. You're cheating on me. You, you have another podcast somewhere. And you <laughs> right. So, you know, so it's, I feel like I have this awesome, so I have, you know, awesome students and, and friends, you know, and, uh, you know, and I, I kind of feel like I can get a, a lot of shit done and I just need to, uh, I, uh, I just feel like I need to make an actionable plan and get it done you know it's um and and i and i and i and i think i've done it this time i well i i didn't actually get anything fucking done other than a plan sure but uh but that's how you start but that's how you start you have to plan and um i i actually if you don't mind me talking some more here i actually looked up and came up with a um and this is nothing I created, folks. This is literally Google. Um, how to set Sean, it? Sean has never created anything, for the record, by the way. Okay, I have two kids, motherfucker, and I think <laughs> I was involved in that creation. Those are like the best six or seven minutes of my wife's phone. <laughs> Both of them together, you mean? This <laughs> <laughs> oh, was like three and a half minutes each. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Makes sense. I um, To set an achievable goal... Um, I, I've from what I've seen, it's a four-step process, or you know, some people say five. I like the four-step process. It's a st- set a specific goal, set a measurable goal, set an attainable goal, and make sure it's time-bound. Yes. And when those four things fall into place, so if I sit there and say, and I'm, we'll just pick a number here. I want to lose. For me to say I want to lose weight this year is not is not something. It's not a. It's not a goal. Right. It's a wish. Yeah. To say I want to lose fifty pounds this year. That's a goal. Because it's a specific. It's fifty. It's not just I want to lose some weight. It's oh no. I'm saying I want to lose fifty pounds. It's measurable. I can get on a scale and weigh myself. It's obtainable. 50 pounds is a realistic number. And it's time bound. It's time set. It's within this year. Now, of course, I would change every almost every number there. You know, I, I need to lose more weight and I want to lose more weight in a short amount of time. But it's realistic for me with the weight I'm at. But when you're going to make a goal, regardless of what it's about, make sure it's something specific like like with me with guitar i can't just say i want to learn to play guitar better or i want to get better at playing acoustic blues no it's i want to play a certain song you know in time in measure by february you know and so i you know i get my metronome out and i have the sheet music and i can actually 
practice bar for bar and 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 set this realistic goal and and we could do this with anything in the martial arts and is this how you go about it how are you so successful alex <laughs> well uh, i'm not always so successful and i fail more times than i than i succeed the only difference is i think you you have to frame failure differently uh because there are people that you know when they fail at something and and i've been in business now for 15 years and i've made a lot of mistakes uh, in terms of choices I made for the business or advertising or, or uh, with staff or with assistants and things like that. And it's easy to frame those things as failures and then go, ah, you know, I failed. And, uh, you know, and to kind of take that on yourself as a value judgment, or you can use it to correct course. And instead of taking those things that you would otherwise perceive as failures, you go, okay, well, I tried this and this didn't work. Why didn't it work? Was it the right thing to do and I just didn't do it right or should I have done something else? So as long as you can find a way to frame it so you could then improve your course for moving ahead to the future, then you actually never fail. You just keep learning. And so a big part of it is, is you know, when you're setting goals uh, is also one to have the right attitude about uh, um, framing what failure is in your mind and, and changing that from something negative to actually something positive that you use it to learn from. And I, um, what you said is 100% correct. There's a bunch of different methods of doing it, but they all, all the effective ones basically follow what you just outlined about, you know, having a specific goal and then, um, you know, these things need to be measurable, they need to be attainable, and then you also need to make it somewhat time bound because otherwise you can keep putting it off and, and so on and so forth. So basically you have a big goal and then you work backwards. Okay. If this is where I need to be in nine months. Where do I need to be in six months? If I'm on the course to there nine months, then where do I need to be in three months? Where do I need to be in two? Where do I need to be in one? And then, so you re you reverse engineer the plan. And then if you falter somewhere, you just correct course, but you continue on there. And you might find that there's another method to do it, but reverse charting your course is actually the best way to do it. And, and, I, and I do it for, for, I have a number of different categories. And what I did this year is I actually, I like to write stuff down. In the digital age, um, everyone has everything on their phone. The only thing that's on my phone are my appointments, but my real, my planner, man, I'm old school. I write that stuff down. And this thing is like what I do every day. It's my notes. And even at the end of the day, it's like what I messed up on, what I didn't do right, what I need to do better. And, and so, um, you know, and even just like I, I, I will rate myself after I teach a class, like how well did I teach that class today? Did I have the right amount of energy? Was I, was I really there uh, in the way that I expect that my, I assume my students expect me to do? So I'm very self-reflective in that kind of way. But it's, it's all about just looking at yourself, being honest and not taking failure as an end, but just taking it as a learning experience. So I um, basically do exactly what you just said there. I write everything down. And I'm constantly re-editing my goals. Like sometimes I'll find that uh, I'll have a goal in business and I might uh, achieve that goal a little bit earlier or I might find out that actually that's not the real goal or actually I can do something even better and I'll change it. But you only do that if you're like you're on it and you have a plan. And the same way you would budget out, you know, your uh, um you know what what you what you can spend on whatever every month you basically do the same thing with your time if i want this goal in 3 months how do i budget the next 3 months time wise so that i'm there at the end of 3 months so that's that's basically what i do and i also make sure that the goals are really specific like you said you can't just say like oh i want to be better at martial arts it's like 
I, I have like specific goals for me in terms of like my striking ability. <laughs> and I have certain goals for me in terms of like um, my ability in Wing Chun and my ability with the weapons and uh, my fitness ability. But then I have business goals. I have family goals in terms of the amount of time and what I do with my kids and traveling and everything that, that possibly will make my life what I want it to be. I have to set goals for every part of that. And it doesn't mean I'm going to attain all of them. Sometimes it might change them. Sometimes my values might change. At the beginning of the year, sometimes I think stuff is important. And a month into it, you realize, actually, I don't really want that at all. Actually, I want something else. But the course allows you to realize those things. And sometimes we realize that we have bigger and better goals than the ones we originally uh, planned just by doing the work. So, so, uh, so yeah. I stand corrected. You are a type A personality. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Not, not originally. I've, I've gotten. I used to not be that way. Um, I just, as I getting, as I'm getting older, I realize that we have. Uh, I'm. I, I, I've, you know, been reading a lot about the about stoicism, our limited time on Earth, and uh, we're sometimes in a position where we can really positively affect people. And sometimes I'm guilty of getting kind of caught up in gossipy strands and, and you know, I can display somewhat negative uh, attributes of the typical Chinese martial art forebears that I learned from. And I realize, you know, that's not an effective use of my time. I, I, I've been tremendously lucky to learn what I've learned. And we have this podcast as a platform and I have you as one of my, uh, um, you know, for, for me, like, I, I don't just enjoy doing the podcast because of the product. I enjoy it because I'm sitting down and having a conversation with you. And this is one of the favorite things of me to do in, 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 in my, my regular daily life. I wish we could do it more often because I really look forward to this. And, and I like to bounce ideas off of you because I uh, you know, really respect your feedback. I respect your opinion. And I want to be better at what I do. And I felt that I've gotten a lot better as an instructor and as a communicator from t spending so much time talking to you. And, and that's what I want to spend my time doing. I want to spend time improving the quality of life for my friends, improving the quality of life for my family, for my students. And I can't do that if I'm bogged down in stupid gossipy nonsense. I deleted Facebook from my phone a number of weeks ago. And I just check it once in the morning on my computer, but never on my phone. And that has completely changed my mindset. I, I didn't realize how toxic Facebook was on my mental well-being and I'm I, I and I was able to stick it through like I wasn't on there ranting like a lot of people rant on Facebook like I just didn't say anything but that doesn't mean it wasn't affecting me and taking Facebook off my phone was one of the best things I've ever done I still have messengers so people can get a hold of me who are close to me but I don't look at that crap uh, I limit Twitter I look at Twitter in the morning and I look at Twitter at night I look at Facebook once in the day and that's it. And I don't and I don't allow that stuff to, to, to be as toxic anymore. As a result, I've gotten so much done in the last week. It's ridiculous. And I just feel so much better. And I go to sleep at night way more relaxed. I, uh, I'm way more clear headed with my kids. And 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 when the when people who are developing Facebook go on record to apologize for creating something that is probably the biggest addiction known to man. You, and when those people who work at Facebook don't even their, their assistants hold on to their phones for them and limit their access to it, then you know something is up. And, and so I'm very happy to be uh, rid of Facebook from my phone. This is probably one of the best things I've ever done. That's really smart. That's really smart because, you know, we've become yeah. a society where we it's the phone is 
it's ridiculous to even refer to it as a phone anymore. Yes. Um, I actually had this discussion at work not too long ago where um, someone said to me, oh, what do you need that for? I mean, you make, you make phone calls on it. I'm like, it's not a phone anymore. Yeah. It's not a phone. It's a handheld personal computer that also makes phone calls. Yes, yes. You know, because really the 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 law, the paradigm of a of a phone, a cell phone, has changed. It has done the one eighty. It used to be a phone, and then it was kind of like a phone that you could send a text message by. You know, it took you twenty minutes. <laughs> right. So now you could do anything on this fucking thing, and it even makes a phone call. Yes, exactly. Which people, which people rarely do nowadays. Who calls? Even in in our school, when people sign up online for more information, we we book most of our intro lessons all through text message. Right. Uh, Very rare. And we'll call people back when they when they. It's so funny. People. Someone will sign up on the website. And my assistant will call them back. Like as soon as they sign up, they'll be like, "Hey, thanks for signing up. We want to set you up for an intro lesson." They won't answer their phone. Then the assistant right, will send them a course. text. They'll answer the text right away. So, right. <laughs> so it's just like people just are suspicious of answering their phones because because there's a commitment in talking to people that you don't have in by other means texting or whatever. And in to, in a certain way, it's nice. You can get some stuff done quicker. But, you know, uh, I think part of the reason why podcasts are so popular nowadays is because podcasts are doing what people used to do, which is have a conversation. And I think that there there's a, a, a need for human beings to have connected conversations. I mean, think about it. Even before I got rid of Facebook, I'm checking my phone all the time for this, that, and the other thing, right? And I'm a pretty focused person. But this is like an hour, an hour and a half where both you and I, we don't even look at our phones. We just talk. Right. We're here in the present. And this is something that rarely happens nowadays. And and I think that people see some value in it. I think that's why the, the format of podcasts are, are so big now because it harkens back to a time when you would just sit down and talk, yeah. which is uh, something that, that people don't do anymore. Did you ever hear the uh – a little bit of a tangent here. Uh, have you ever heard of the comedian named Sebastian Maniscalco? No, I haven't. Okay, he's a stand-up comedian from Chicago. He's very funny. Yes. And I strongly suggest everybody go see Sebastian Maniscalco. In fact, I'm going to be taking my wife to the Borgata in Atlantic City soon to go see him again. Um, he does a routine where when he grew up, he's about our age. I say our age as if you and I were the same age. But uh, I'm 50 and you're what, 35? I just, I just turned 40. Okay. <laughs> 10 so, years apart. We're 10 years apart. So let, let's call him 40, 40-ish, 45-ish. And he talks about when he was a kid and when I was a kid, if someone rang your doorbell, it was an awesome thing. Yes. Someone's here. Let's go visit. Let's go see who came to visit us. Which one of my friends are out there that wants to play with me? Which one of my mom's friends want, is coming over for coffee? This right. is an awesome thing. Someone's here. Someone rang my bell. Now, someone rings your bell and you're like, who the fuck is at my yeah. door? Or it's like, what did you order on Amazon? <laughs> right. It's become this whole change. Society has changed. And uh, it, it, it just when you were talking about the whole year of the phones, it popped into my head and I wanted to... Uh, Mention that um, the other thing I want to talk about you talk about why podcasts have become so popular. Podcasts are awesome, and and you're right. This this whole idea of based on a conversation. That's why podcasts I think 
with more than one person on it are just much more enjoyable than this monotone. Some podcasts are just like this one person talking, and I just you want to put a bullet in your head. But you know, podcasts are a radio show where you can control the content in that you in, in how you pick your podcast, and you can control how you listen to it. Right. I I have podcasts lined up. And I listen to it on the way to work, on the way home from work. I know what I'm going to be listening to, when I'm going to be listening to it. It's 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 absolutely an explosion in uh, in, in in entertainment and in information, and it's uh, it's only going yeah. to get bigger and better. Yeah, it's a really fantastic format. By the way, um, I'm going to be in Hong Kong next week again, <laughs> and um, uh, we, we'll have a couple podcasts pre-recorded for our audience so that they don't miss a beat once we're back on. But I'm going to try to see if I can do some interviews while I'm out in Hong Kong because I think that would be something that our listeners might be interested in, um, some kind of extra special content for Dudes of Kung Fu listeners. Um, you know, Maybe uh, if I could uh, get Chen Chi Man to do an interview, which is not, not always easy. His English is good enough. I might have to to tra- help translate a little bit afterwards but uh he can definitely tell some very funny stories and uh in general over the um over the holiday break i, I thought about it because we did the uh um the first ama with me the ama with you is coming out and then people want like some special content stuff right so i think that beyond that i might do some kind of like hardcore history style podcast where i talk about like the history of Yip Man Wing Chun in Hong Kong and 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 Kang cool. and also like the rise and fall of Long Tang and and like you know some stuff that people have don't know about like some real kind of uh, insider stuff and uh, uh, it reminds me like I gave you a little shit at the beginning of this podcast for saying one of your goals might be to get hair transplants because you're always jealous of my hair because you're always you're always talking about my hair like with with did you say of, that because I tend to ignore you <laughs> which reminded me I have a very funny Long Tang hair story <laughs> which I thought I would regale our uh, listeners with uh, I'll probably tell the story in more detail in my in my memoirs which, which I'm writing but uh, um, there's a very funny story so like in, in, in the old days when I was uh, in, in his association and, and I was a lot closer to him obviously than I am now um, you know he would sometimes call at like three in the morning or four in the morning. And the reason why he would do this is because he lives in Hong Kong. Hong Kong has a 12 hour time difference to New York City. So if it's, you know, 1 p.m. in New York City, it's 1 a.m. in Hong Kong. It's exactly our day turned on its head, right? So that's something that, you know, my Seagong Leung Ting didn't always take into consideration when he suddenly decided that he needed to call me for something, right? So in the old days when I was in the association, it wasn't unheard of that, uh, you know, he would call me at three in the morning, which is some like ridiculous question about some, you know, gossip that's going on in his uh, European Wing Chun organization or something that he needed to talk to me about. And it would be like, uh, it's three in the morning. Uh, and, he, you know, he would say, never mind. So what have you heard about this? He's <laughs> <laughs> always like, never like mind. dick. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> so anyway, it reminds me. So one time um, as, as, you know, I don't know how well informed our listeners are about Sifu Lang Ting, but he, uh, you know, back in the old days, he used to have a full head of hair. And if you followed his photos over the course of his long and uh, illustrious career, at some point, is that a landline in the background? We've been through this. I have a landline. We've been through this. <laughs> that was like what our second or third episode, right? Where yeah, I, I, all was, that shit. So, I was so and, mad about that. Yeah, but people, people talk about that all the time as one of their favorite moments of our podcast. <laughs> like, shit about having that landline. 
So, I have a landline. <laughs> so so anyway, I'm that old. He calls me like at one a.m. or two a.m. or something like that, and he goes, "Alex, I need you to buy something for me." All right, and then so. You know, he wasn't very skilled at like ordering stuff. He's not somebody who knows how to like go online and order something, right? So, he over the, in the course of the '80s, he started to lose his hair, and then he would start to do, which is unfortunately common, the comb over. You know, so you can right. see like in the '80s, they would be like photos of him where he just like had this huge swath of hair on one side that he kind of combed over to the other, trying to hide the fact that he no longer had hair on the top of his head. Well, at some point in the in the 90s, he got hair transplants. And he got, uh, yeah, but at that time it was very expensive. It was like, eight, I think he paid like $8 a hair follicle or something like that. And they, they basically take those hairs from like the back of your neck yeah. and then they put them on the top of your head, right? So I, every time I would see him and I would like look at his hairline, it would just seem kind of like, like almost like a doll's hairs where there's like a bunch of them in one. And it always looked a little weird, but he was always very, or I assume still is, very self-conscious about his hair, right? And even after the hair transplants, he still kind of would, he still lost some of his hair, right? So he called me like at two in the morning because he was on a plane. And you know, sometimes in airplanes, they have these catalogs where you can buy like merchandise, right? Like, like duty free stuff. And he saw an ad for this spray on hair. Oh my God. <laughs> And he was like so blown away by it, like that you could basically just spray these like particles on your hair and then it would bind with the other particles and it made you look like you had a head of hair and he wanted it. Right. So uh, I was like, um, OK, and it's like two in the morning. And he's like, but he, he called me because he wanted me to order it right away so that it was at my school when he came to do the seminar, which was about a, a week or two from the time that he called. Right. So this was like super pressing. And of course, he doesn't call his managers or his assistants because those guys were all idiots. He calls me. So I I look at this stuff and I go online and I look and I look at it and actually looks like a totally legit hair product. Like if any of you guys are interested, it's called Topic, T-O-P-P-I-K. Go on YouTube and look at this. stuff. It's kind of like brilliant. I go like, well, if this stuff really works, it's pretty amazing. Right. So so anyway, I, I call like they had a hotline and I called. And uh, the, the guy on the phone is like, so, sir, what color is your hair? And I'm like, oh, well, it's actually not for me. And then the guy's like, yeah, sure, it's not for you. Just <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, ah, oh, damn it. So I'm like, oh, well, my hair is black because it was for him, right? <sighs> so I, I order this stuff. It comes in. And then, you know, a week and a half, two weeks later, uh, Sifu Lengting arrives at JFK. I pick him up. And literally the first thing he says when he gets off the plane isn't like, Hi, nice to see you, Alex. It's like, did you order the topic? That was like the first words that came. Like, it was not like, hello, how are you doing? And I'm like, yes, I have it. So uh, I took him to his hotel room and I gave him stuff. And, and then I'm like, all right, so uh, I will pick you up tomorrow morning at uh, nine o'clock. We'll have breakfast and then we'll go and I'll bring him to my school for the seminar. Okay, fine, no problem. So I say goodnight to him. The next morning, I go to pick him up. And uh, so this stuff is basically like a spray and you're just supposed to spray a little bit on the area where you're balding and it kind of binds with a few hairs that you have and it makes it look like you have actual hair. It's, it's some kind of particles. It's not like spray paint. It actually looks like hair, right? Right, right, So, right. so anyway, I, I pick him up the next morning and he had gone to town using this stuff. Now, <laughs> he has a beard now. <laughs> soul patch (laughs) not quite but like he he clearly didn't read like the directions on it which is like to use it 
sparingly and like use a little bit, right? He like he sprayed so much of this stuff on the top of his head that he had like an like a Wayne Newton bouffant on That's his awesome. head. If that imagery makes any sense, you know, to to our listeners out there, he had like kind of an, a very Elvisy, like a bouffant hairstyle on his head, and his hair is kind of graying because he's older, and he got the black color, so it was like this very artificial. You know, when like uh, old, oh yeah, I know what you mean. You know, like old men they dye their hair black, but they use that flat black it's not jet black so it's like it's just so artificial looking right oh yeah so so he had this like flat black bouffant of hair and it was like and it was like he put so much of it on that the fibers weren't binding because it wasn't binding the hair anymore so it just he had like this bouffant made of black dust oh god on that's top of awesome and i just looked at him and he got in the car and i was just staring at him with my eyes wide open like Oh, good morning, Seekong. Like, like, <laughs> and and like he and he's talking to me, and I just keep staring at his hair. Like, I can't even make eye contact with him. It's like a vortex that's sucking all my attention, right? And so, of course, every time he shakes his head, these like black flakes come flying off, and they land on his white jacket. And then he like, and then he kind of rubbed his face, and then he had like this big black smear over his Oh face. my god! And I'm like having to take him to the seminar looking like this. And so, anyway, just anytime I make jokes about people who want to like hide their kind of balding or whatever, like I always think of that story where I had to get the spray on hair for Sifu Lang Ting, and then he used all of it on one at one sitting on his hair. So anyway, that's a one of those. Very funny memories that uh, that I That's just feel awesome. is too too good not to share. I, I have a car story too, but I can't tell it. I can go to jail. A car story, <laughs> but <laughs> I have to tell you one day. Yeah, you'll tell me after the podcast. Not a problem. Not a problem. But I do have something that's really cool for our listeners to hear, um, and me too, actually. Um, have you ever seen? I don't know if you ever watched the show, but there's a sh- an HBO show called Westworld. Yes, of course. It's very good. I don't know if you watched it or not. It's I very saw good. Whole, whole season, yeah. Okay, so and by the way, there's some excellent Westworld podcasts um, about it. Wow. Next season, Westworld's going to have Samurai World. Oh, that's right. They alluded to like in the last episode. I remember you see kind of like the Samurai World that they were putting in, right? And they so they came out with the uh, Pop Funko toys. You know, you know the Pop Funko like uh, those plastic. Anyway, they, like, the, like the big head one. Like yes. All, yes. So they came out with uh, the samurai for Westworld. And the, the lead samurai is named Musashi. And I actually, my son got me the, 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 the little pup Funko toy for the Westworld Musashi. It looks fucking awesome. Wow. It looks awesome. And I can't wait to see this. Because one, I mean, samurai. I love samurai, and I'm a huge Miyamoto Musashi fan. Yes. So um, I just cannot wait for Westworld to start again. And I know a lot of our listeners like um, Hong Kong theater. This is not Hong Kong theater, but it's still, it's uh, you know, it's Japanese and it's samurai and it's martial, and it'll be awesome. And I cannot wait for this. This is going to be pretty kick ass. Awesome. Yeah, a few weeks ago, or a few podcasts ago, I think I told our audience uh, that uh, 
we shot something with a Shaw Brothers legend Lu Feng at our school for Celestial and for El Rey. Well, those spots are slowly actually showing up on on their website. So I think Celestial, which is the company that owns the Shaw Brothers catalog, they already started showing a bunch of the clips of Lu Feng with the sword and Lu Feng doing kung fu at my school. And I think it's just a matter of time before those clips uh, pop up on um, El Rey. So um, for oh, our cool. listeners out there, if you guys watch, uh, you know the. Old kung fu movies on El Rey. So uh, if they're not on there already, um, take a look and see if those spots with uh, Lu Feng popped up because uh, we shot those um, at uh, at City Wing Chun, and that was definitely a lot of fun. Bobby was there for that, and um, and we had him on the podcast afterwards, which was a lot of fun. So uh, yeah, look, uh, it's it's always fun to meet meet these uh, old school cats, and and uh, um, I'm also a big fan of Japanese films. Uh, you know, Hong Kong kind of dominated martial art films as far as Asia goes, but right. there are there are some you know martial art films from Korea, some martial art films from Thailand, um, and and obviously Japan that that are also really fantastic. And uh, did you um, were you a fan of like Sonny Chiba, the Street Fighter? No, um, I shouldn't say that. I don't. I you know I didn't. I didn't watch it. So whether I was a fan or not, you know, I was more of a fan of the Akira Kurosawa movies, yes. the samurai movies, and um, and I'm, one of my first uh, exposures to samurai as a kid was that uh, television series, that miniseries Shogun. Oh, I never saw Shogun. That's way before my time. Oh, it's it's you'll love it. It's fucking awesome. You'll love it. I mean, it's worth it. I'll tell you. It's now, you know, I mean, it's did you like that the samurai movie with um Tom Cruise? The last, it was funny. I was just thinking about that last samurai, you mean? Yeah, so yeah, you did yeah, you enjoy the, that? Yeah, despite the fact that, you know, Tom Cruise was in it and they made it about a white guy. It actually was a pretty good movie. Okay, so that's that's Shogun. Yeah. It's like it's like it's a redo of Shogun. It's it was Shogun was the original story. I mean, it's a white guy. He's from England instead of you know America, and and he becomes a samurai. And the whole it's he is Shogun. It's it's the the last the the, the last samurai was a redo of uh, Shogun. They won't they'll never call it that, but that's exactly what it was. And it was really fun to watch. Right? And 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 it made me fall in love with that whole culture. As a kid, I mean, as a kid who was horrible in school, didn't read books. That was like one of the first books I've ever read on my own that I was not, you know, not mandatory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I read books for school that was mandatory. Sure. But this was the first book I was like, I want this book. And it led me to read other novels. It led, And then eventually um, nonfiction about that era that I was, you know, some 15 year old kid, 16 year old kid now going to buy books on, you know, 16th century, you know, uh, Japan. And uh, and it all started from that uh, mini series Shogun. Uh, I think what's remarkable about the Japanese and in Japanese martial arts is the tremendous amount of discipline that they apply to the learning of martial arts and to the whole attitude uh, behind doing martial arts, that it's just, uh, y- you know, whether this is purely, I, and even in the modern day, um, they uh, still have that kind of attitude, and whether this is all completely because of the samurai code and Bushido, and this is all just basically down the line, or whether there are other kind of social reasons why the Japanese are kind of more geared that way, they are so um, 
perfectly suited to learning martial arts because they they respect not just their art and their teacher but they the fact that they're doing martial arts they take it so seriously and i always felt that if the if the chinese especially in the more modern era had the discipline of the japanese um the chinese martial arts would be at a much higher level in general i think with the, the achilles heel of chinese martial arts uh, are not the techniques or uh, because the martial art chinese martial art techniques cover the gamut from punching kicking mm -hmm. grappling everything the problem i always felt is the way chinese martial arts are taught and the way chinese martial arts are studied especially by a lot of the chinese it it doesn't have that that same level of uh discipline that the japanese have in fact i may have mentioned it on remember when we did the podcast about that chinese mma fighter that uh beat up the tai chi sure and I think I mentioned it then, but it kind of bears uh, repeating because this came from a Chinese guy. So, the, so people don't accuse me of saying this or that about a culture that's not mine. Um, the Chinese MMA fighter said that, you know, one of the things that bothered him about the current state of martial arts in China is that they would constantly try to make Japanese martial arts look bad because there's a history of Japanese martial arts kind of beating up a lot of famous Chinese martial arts guys. And this, of course, um, is also on the uh, this also has a lot of uh, uh, a lot to do with the fact of what happened in the Second World War and that the Chinese, you know, felt very um, understandably so oppressed by what what happened during the Second World War and that they've constantly tried to kind of reestablish themselves as dominant after what the Japanese did to them. And one of the things they do now in China is they basically take so-called Japanese martial artists and uh, have them challenged by Chinese martial artists in TV shows. And then, of course, the Japanese guy loses. But often what's happening here is that these Japanese guys are not serious martial artists or they've actually just been paid to lose. And this is all just kind of state-run propaganda for the Chinese to basically feel better about themselves. And this Chinese MMA fighter pointed that out in one of the interviews, that he was aware that these were sham fights. And he says, why do the Chinese have to look so badly upon Japanese martial arts? Because Japanese martial arts artists are much more disciplined. And then he talked about how he went to Japan and when he had trained with some Japanese martial artists, they trained for hours without taking a break. They wouldn't dare say, oh, can, can I get a drink of water? Can I?" They would just do whatever their instructor or coach told them with absolute discipline. And, and he said, if the Chinese had this level of discipline, Chinese martial arts would be somewhere else. And so I've always been, the two Asian cultures impress me the most in terms of discipline. <coughs> One is the Japanese and the other are the Thai. All right, if you go and you watch and you see how, how the Thai train Thai boxing in Thailand, I mean, that is, that's something pretty serious. So, um, anyway, yes, my so phone's ringing again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what, what do you have anything to, to, to say about that? Uh, that's what I got to say. Yes, I do have something to say about that. Um, when I was a young man, I uh, was learning uh, a Japanese samurai sword from a, from, a, from a nice guy who I don't, you know, I don't know how much of it he made up. So I can't, you know, I can't lie and sit there and say I learned this super secret. I, I don't know how much of it he even made up. But he did teach me something that I found interesting. And now while you were talking, I actually tried to Google the term. So he may have made this up also, okay? Um, but he told me that there was a term that he called or pronounced something close to Sun, T-S-U-N-E. That's what I remember writing down, T-S-U-N-E, Sun. And he said that the misconception among um, 
us here in the in, in in the West is that the Japanese samurai held their art with a reverence. Mm -hmm. He said they did hold their training ground with a reverence. They held their sword with a reverence. They held the art itself maybe with a reverence. But the training itself was not reverent. The training itself was just something you did. The idea of being consistent in life, this idea of, again, what he called sun, T-S-U-N-E, he said was the idea of you have certain things you do consistently in your life without thought. You wake up in the morning, before you go to work, you shower. It's just something you do. You don't sit there and say, I'm going to take the almighty shower. Now, maybe you have a favorite soap. Maybe you have a favorite shampoo. Maybe, you know, whatever the case may be, you love the shower you built. But the idea of getting in a shower before going to work is just something you do. And that's how you have to look at martial arts. That I wake up today, I train. Right. I don't have to, like, overly plan it. I don't have to hold the idea of training with some sort of reverence that, oh, my God, I'm going to sit here and now perform the training. It's, yeah. no, no, I get up and I work out. That's what I do. That's my life. It's not something to be set on a pedestal. Like, again, the sword itself could be something to hold reverence to. You could treat the... The, the the school itself with kind of reverence because this is where the training happens yes. and, and I respect but the training the fact that you get up and train is not something to be rewarded yes it just should be something you do without thought right. I get up I train why because that's who I am as a person right and he and I'll never forget that that phrase soon and, and the example he used was you would shower before you go and I remember saying shit I better start showering but, <laughs> but like, you know, like, and I, it, and I, it, it hit me as like, wow, you know, that's, that's really profound, at least to, at, at, the, at the young age that I was, it was very profound. Sure. This idea of, you know, every day you got up and you trained, it was just something you did. You didn't have to make something more out of it than it is. But it's not something you would ever, you wouldn't think about going to work without a shower. You know, you just wouldn't do it. But you know, you sit up and say, oh, you know, you're going to train and kind of, and, th and that whole like mystique of uh, reverence kind of gets in the way of the fact of I, I, I have to train. Because, and he said, and the reason is, is because if you then missed the training or screwed up or did something to that effect, you now held it with such a reverence that it, become more, it becomes more of a negative than it actually was in your life. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's like if you got up and if you made the fact that you got up and trained every day something so important that if you missed it, it now becomes something catastrophic, right? And sends you off on a tangent. Sure. And and I just that was something I, I, I one of my first big like um what's the phrase uh, when the penny drops you know as a kid when yeah you know, when I was a kid like one of those, it was one of those moments where like wow. That's like life-changing shit, you know? I just learned something here, you know? Yeah, uh, that, 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 that's actually very similar to what we were talking about at the beginning about, uh, about goals and when, when you make a mistake or you falter because your entire identity is not invested in whether you 
passed or failed this thing, you use it as course correction and you continue moving on. So uh, that that's, can totally be applied to when if you make a misstep in your in your goals or anything like that, um, that you, you have to frame that in a way where your entire life doesn't fall apart because you, you missed something one day or you didn't reach something that you said you were going to. Um, and, and yeah, the, the Japanese have that thing. I think why people look at it so intensely about how hardcore they are about training is because, yeah, for them, it's, no, this is just what you do. You just show up. There's no selfie to go like, oh, yo, bro, I trained three hours today. Right. Bro, I grappled with this guy. It's like they just do it. And I'm always a little bit suspicious about people who, you know, every once in a while I'll post like, oh, I'm at the gym or I'm doing something. But um, I certainly don't do that all the time. Otherwise, it'd be kind of ridiculous because I do it every day, you know. Right. And 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 so uh, I think that for for some people, it, it, you know, they always want to kind of show like, hey, look at me, I'm training. And it's like, well, if you're a martial arts person, I'm expecting that that's what you're doing to a certain degree. And like, mm. what what is the result of it? How how are you making somebody else's life better? Why are you telling me that you're training? I assume that that's what you do. <laughs> is it any is it any big like if I post like yo I did like I did you know half an hour on the dummy today like do I want people to pat me on the back for that or something like that you know and right. and, and so um, yeah I think that there there's something in that this is just what you do and. Uh, also, the reverence thing is very funny because a lot of people, their previous martial arts training is oftentimes in karate or judo or, or Japanese martial art. Um, and so when they come to the Chinese school, they will often like bow to the hallway or to the room, uh, which is not what the Chinese do. So the, the Chinese, they, they don't have this thing where you where you bow to the dojo, right? Right. Um, because the Chinese are just like, it's just a room. <laughs> right, 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 right. Why, why you bow to a room, you know? So the idea is that, you know, you, you bow to people or maybe in certain uh, instances you might bow to a photo of your late grandmaster or something like that. But th those are all people. Those are all like specifics, right? So yeah, I can always tell which students of mine have done karate or taekwondo or something when they come on the floor and they bow to the school. And I'm like, oh. Sure. Yeah, if you knew the nonsense that went on in these four walls, you wouldn't bow to this. <laughs> you know, we've had kids conceived in this room. <laughs> my, my, my kids, my kids play in that room. <laughs> Bring their Peppa Pig in there. There's nothing, nothing reverential of the room. It's it's the art. So we, you know, we bow to Grandmaster Yip Man when we enter and leave, or or the students might bow to their Sifu or something like that. But but definitely not to the room, and that that shows a a difference in the um, kind of mindset that uh, the Chinese are far more into the familial line, that you are right. one spoke in the large wheel. And the Japanese, of course, they also honor that too in their line as well. But for them, it's more about they're part of this institution that is so much bigger than them, where the Chinese, they never feel that they represent, for example, especially nowadays, you never feel that any Chinese people feel like they, I don't represent Wing Chun, right? Maybe some people in their own minds do. But people are like, no, I represent and this then lineage. insert their Sifu's names, right. Wing Chun, too, better than any of their other Sihings or Sidais, right? And so, whereas I think that you certainly probably have that in lines of Japanese karate, for example, but I think that they feel far more proud in general to be a karate practitioner than, mm -hmm. say, a Wing Chun person is to be a Kung Fu practitioner, right? right. Because they're so specific about their house in Kung Fu that they don't have the overall idea that we represent a larger institution. I think you mentioned prior on the podcast, one of the, one of the earlier podcasts, that um, 
I'm, I'm sure it was you or one of our guests, but I'm, I'm sure it was you. Said so like Yip Man didn't teach his Sifu's named Wing Chun. Yeah, I made that point, right? He taught Wing Chun. Yes. You know what I mean? And he didn't teach. I'm drawing a blank on his Sifu's name, believe it or not. But Chan like he didn't. Right. He didn't. He didn't pronounce. He, so he didn't teach Chan Wansun's. Right. Exactly. Wing Chun. Yes. He taught Wing Chun. Yes. You know. So like I teach Chi Kun Do. I don't teach Steve Golden's Chi Kun Do. I don't teach. Sean Madigan's Jeet Kune Do. I don't teach Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do. I teach Sean. I teach Jeet Kune Do. Yes. You know, and and, and I stumble through Wing Chun. And um, well, I, I think what's interesting about that is uh, if if you have confidence in what, like, so for example, I don't say I teach Leung Teng Wing Chun. I learn Wing Chun from Leung Teng. The Wing Chun that I teach is obviously heavily influenced by Leung Teng because he was my primary teacher. And most of the other people that I learn from are also from his line, right? But I don't say I teach Leung Teng Wing Chun. I just teach Wing Chun. And this is my school and my association, right? But I don't claim to teach the inerrant uh, teachings of somebody who is not myself. And what's interesting about the Yip Man Wing Chun thing is obviously it makes sense now with the Yip Man movies why people want to attach their name to it because it's a marketing thing, right? Right. I want you to notice something interesting. Most of the people who are still alive, who are direct students of Yip Man, most of them don't say they teach Yip Man Wing Chun. They usually just say either they teach Wing Chun or they teach their own version of Wing Chun. Mm -hmm. The people who say they teach Yip Man Wing Chun are usually grand students or further down the line of Yip Man. So for me, that speaks to an insecurity about their uh, like. For me, if if your Wing Chun is good, your Wing Chun is good. It doesn't matter who your teacher is. It doesn't matter how far along the line you are. And the idea of hiding behind lineage uh, or hiding behind generation to prove that you're good, I think is kind of ridiculous. Because I always find that it's like kind of a weak argument when you have to invoke your Sifu or your Sigong's name to legitimize the thing that you are teaching in that moment. Because excellent point. Either, excellent point. Either my Tan Sao works or it doesn't, but it's not made better because I said Yip Man did the Tan Sao such and such way, especially when I never was in a room with Yip Man myself. And so I always find that it, it's not a sign of strength that people say that they teach Yip Man Wing Chun. It's actually a sign. Of course, there's a marketing aspect too. We're not going to to deny that. But for me, it's actually a sign of weakness. It's a sign of insecurity in your ability to propagate and teach the skill on its own merit that it needs to have stilts of someone's name that you never even met. And right. and so that's that's really my take on that. It's not a sign of strength. It's a sign of weakness. Now, not to keep on going back to this, but I play guitar poorly. I have an awesome guitar teacher. I don't care where he learned guitar. I don't go to him because he teaches a certain method of guitar. Mm-hmm. I go to him because he plays guitar better than I do. Yes. And can teach me. And right. he's a nice man. Right. And I think if martial art was more about that and less about concern with lineage there'd be less of the bullshit out there. I mean, I know it's a broad, stupid statement, but like, if if our goal was to fight better and someone could teach you to fight because he's better at it than you are, 
and has the skill to teach it, that's all it should matter. Now, granted, when it comes to specifics, like I want to learn, I want to learn Wing Chun, well, then there needs to be some lineage aspect so you know you're actually learning what the person is saying they're going to teach you. Right. But if the goal is to just fight, uh, learn martial art, general kung fu, I teach kung fu, then it shouldn't matter where they learned if they can do it well. You yeah. know, like again, like if, if I if I tell you, hey Alex, I'm a guitar teacher, you could say, oh cool, play me something. And I play like shit, you could say, uh, you know what? No bid. I'm not gonna take lessons from you. You're not gonna you know, or if you say to me, hey, if I say to you, Alex, you know, I play guitar, do you wanna learn? You say, yeah, play me something, and I play some song awesome. And you say, I want to do that. Can you show me how to do that? You're not going to say, well, do you have proper certification to teach guitar? Right. Do you have, you know, a lineage? What's your guitar lineage, Sean? You know, you're not going to give a shit. You're going to say, hey, I want to play Stairway to Heaven also. How do you do that? And that should be more important than the paper. I saw someone post on either Instagram or Facebook, uh, I don't give a shit about your certificate. It was just a meme. I don't give a shit about your certificate. And I almost shared it. In fact, I did share it and then deleted it right away. Because a friend of mine had just posted a, a picture of a certificate. <laughs> and I didn't want to think that I was talking about him. Because I really wasn't. Yeah. So, because I remember, I hit share. And then I mem- immediately remembered, oh, some guy just, my friend just posted a certificate. And I said, I don't want to upset anybody. You know me, I don't want to upset anybody, right? So, I, I quickly delete it. But to me, that's what it means. I don't give a shit about your certificate. You have something to teach that I want to learn. You're willing to teach me. You're better at it than I am. And you have the ability to teach it. That's all that should be important. Yeah. I mean, well, I think well, you don't have that problem in boxing. You don't have that problem in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You don't have that problem in MMA or in Judo, for example. Like ju- Judo, for me, is the classic example of a traditional martial art done right to a certain degree. Because the Judo techniques are standardized. Right. They have a founder, Jigoro Kano, but nobody gives a flying hoot and a holler what generation you are to Jigoro Kano. If your judo teacher can teach you judo and they're legit, that's all that matters. Right. But Chinese martial arts, which lives in the relatively untested world, um, they have to back it up with all this kind of stuff. Oh, I learned from two or three students who were students of Yip Man or this or that or whatever, as if learning from more people necessarily qualifies you as a better instructor, right? And And so they often have to hide behind certain things and they often have to um, boast themselves with a lot of very dubious things that, that y- you know, you, you don't see that in other martial arts, right? And I think that being that we're kind of in the last phase, unfortunately, where original students of Yip Man are still around with us on this right. earth. Sure. Um, I don't think that that's going to, uh, you know, and this is not to put a, a death sentence on anybody with superstition, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I don't think that in 20 years there's a student of Yip Man still around. Right. And just to be fair, in 20 years, it's done. And there are certainly students of Yip Man's students um, who uh, are famous, you, you know, you have the Wang Kam Leung's and the Wang Shen Leung students and, and uh, uh, Leung Ting's people and Mo Yat's people and all that stuff who will carry on the traditions. But I don't see anybody, myself included, 
from this current generation of people where people are going to go like, yeah, this is the guy you need to follow because there are so many of us out there and all the associations and all the lineages are so splintered and so fractured that the only ones that are going to remain are the ones that are good and are teaching good stuff. And that's not necessarily going to be the guy that comes from X lineage or Y lineage. It's going to be the people who have adapted to the modern way of doing things, the people who've modified their teaching, the people who've modified um, maybe even the Wing Chun to be more relevant and who can still kind of hang with what's going on in the martial arts. <laughs> and I think all these super traditionalists are going to be weeded out. And in 20 years time, I don't think anyone's going to give a crap about any lineage in Kung Fu anymore because there's nobody right now that I think is has that same level of charisma because because the time where you had one or two special people is over. Now there's just so many people. So like in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's not just the Gracies that you have to that you can learn from. You can learn Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu now in almost every town from people who are great. Right. So why don't Kung Fu people start to just improve their effing product and stop worrying about who's who and who learned what? and uh, change the conversation a little bit because no one is going to care uh, about learning students or grand students in 20, 30 years from now. There's not a name in that bag right now that people are going to go, you know what? If you're really a student of Norbert Madai, who was one of Langting's, like, that's the guy you should learn from. Right? That's not going to happen. The time is over. No one gives a crap. People walk into the school and they go, okay, is this guy good? And can this guy teach me? Because at some point, the generations are going to be so far removed from Yip Man that the Wing Chun has to stand on its own. And that, I'm very looking forward to that day where people can stop pretending that who they learn from or what they learned or whatever is the only thing that matters. What matters is what you can do, what you can teach and how you promote and improve the art for future generations. And so I'm happy for this conservative wing of Chinese martial arts to die a violent death and for, <laughs> uh, for it actually just because Chinese martial arts for me are amazing. I love martial. I love Chinese martial arts on their own merits not on the who's who and i'm interested in the who's who that's part of the history of it but i like i like the martial art of hong kun i like i like the techniques and the movements and the ideas and the theories and i like southern mantis and i like chinese swai jiao wrestling and i like northern mantis and i like white crane and wing chun and this and that and i love them for what they are independent of the personalities who claim to propagate them and the moment that these arts are allowed to stand on their own like boxing stands on its own boxing is not a lineage martial art uh brazilian jiu-jitsu yes you have the gracies but it's not really anymore you can learn brazilian jiu-jitsu in many different flavors now uh mma in general wrestling uh judo when chinese martial arts reach that point where they're just standing on their own they're either good or they're not the school is either good or it's not and we're not talking about these things anymore then uh I think we finally made progress. And it sounds like a healthier way. It just yes. sounds healthier. Yes. You know, um, one of the things I loved always about uh, the Matt Thornton group, his guys, his people, and, and it came from Matt himself, was this healthy attitude towards relationships, towards tradition in, in that... They weren't caught up in ridiculous traditions. 
based on bullshit. It was all based on performance. And uh, they had a little expression. I don't, I don't. I doubt they made it up. But they definitely uh, used it a lot. Uh, performance over protocol. And it was just a healthy way of looking at things. And every time I would have a conversation with Matt or any of his people, I would come away from it saying, wow, that's just a healthy way of looking at things. I remember one time, um, I've been fighting this battle with weight for so many years. And uh, I prefaced a post. And Matt had his own um, forum back then for guys that were running gyms under him. And um, I prefaced a post. Someone said, like, oh, you know, an athletic way of doing stuff. And I said, well, I'm not an athlete, but this is how I do it and how I'm coaching it. And Matt posted right away, Sean, please stop saying you're not an athlete. He says, you know, do you train? He goes, I've been in your basement. I know you train. You know, if you train, you're an athlete. Now, maybe you're on a different end of the spectrum than some other athletes. But every time you say you're not an athlete, that's a it's, it's a it's a thought you're entering into your own head. Right. When you say you're not an athlete, you're holding yourself back. You're an athlete. You're just in the beginning stages of being an athlete. But you're you're every much an athlete than anybody else is. And I remember saying, you know, mentally that was a fucking healthy thing for me. That really made me feel. A, a self-worth. They're like, you know what? I am an athlete. Maybe I'm not in the shape. So like, like right now, I'm re restarted my, my diet and exercise program. And I feel like you're an athlete, Alex. And you know, you have the body of an athlete. You have the performance of an athlete. And I say, you know what? I'm an athlete. I'm just not on Alex's level yet. But I'm an athlete. And that's, I have to, I, I feel like it's really important for me and for any martial artist or any athlete, anybody taking part in an athletic endeavor, this idea of positive self-talk and the idea of don't pretend shit. Oh, I'm a grandmaster. Uh, you know, I have this, I have that. But don't put yourself down either. You, you, you're a martial artist and you're and you're an athlete. And but don't lie to yourself or to other people about what level you're at. Right. And, and again, it all just ties in with the whole idea of the goals and things to that effect. You know, um, one of my goals, as I, I, I have a, a goal of by this time next year, I'm sure I'm going to reach this goal earlier, but I want to, you know, by this time next year, I want to be able to do five rounds of five minutes on the heavy bag. Nice. And so I'm starting off with five rounds of 30 seconds with two-minute rest in between. And then I'm going to go, you know, eventually I'll eventually get to, to you know, one-minute work, two-minute rest for five rounds. And then I'll get one-minute work, one-minute rest. You know, then I'll do, you know, two, you know, one-and-a-half-minute work, one-minute rest. for five. So I, I kind of have this planned out as how I'm going to get myself to five rounds of five minutes with one-minute rest in between for, for rounds. For heavy work, and that's part of my martial arts goals, and um, and I and I kind of feel like now that I've started this, I'm an athlete. I'm a martial artist again. I'm feeling it. I'm in hideous shape, but I, I I've taken the first step, 
And the first, you know, the longest journey starts with the single step. Well, I've taken the step. Right. So that's it. I'm 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 doing this again. I'm this is who I am. Awesome. And I'm sexy as fuck, so you know. <laughs> well that's always been true, Sean. And I'm always <laughs> 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 well, I know it's when you take your when you post the pictures without the shirt on. I know you do it for me. I, I, I get that. <laughs> no, no, no. I used to just do them because I happen to have my shirt off when the photo was taken. But when I realized that you love those photos, we <laughs> <laughs> you know actually because the best is one of my friends um, who you don't know. He's not a martial artist, but he's 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 friends with me. Um, he. You tagged me in a couple of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it came up on his timeline. So I said, oh, it's the guy I do the podcast with. And so he, put, he sent me a message on Facebook Messenger. And he says, I totally get why he posts pictures of him without a shirt. Because the guy's in great shape. I don't get why he tagged you, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You got to understand the relationship. He's like, you know, I don't know if I want to. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome oh man well that was a lot of fun today man it's great absolutely brother uh we'll be back in there next week and yep. uh i'm looking forward to it man everyone take care uh, all right folks well. we'll talk to you soon guys bye-bye thank you for listening to our latest episode please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms if you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the Dudes, you'll get early access to episodes, as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the Dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!